Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, another hashing couple. School teachers who have traveled the world, founded hashes all over the world, including notably Prague Hash, where the Prague, as Prague City, is the host for the new Eurohash. Welcome today on the podcast, Phantom and Shadow. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Good to talk to you guys. Good to hear your voice. Let's get everybody to learn your background. One at a time, tell us when and where and how you started hashing. Well, we started hashing in Rumbai, which is in the middle of Sumatra, Indonesia. A friend of ours went to Balikpapan on some work assignment, and he came back all excited because it had this new activity. And he was going to try it there in Rumbai, and that was the Hash House Harriers. When was that? That one would be 1971. About 50 years ago. Yes. <laughs> to your hash names, Phantom and Shadow, where did these hash names come from? Those came from Rumbai. We first had hash names, but we didn't have women as part of our group. So I was Phantom based, I think, on the fact that I had lost a lot of pounds. So I was a mere <laughs> shadow of myself. Uh huh, because it was such a sexist organization. She was named Phantom S. It took a, a year or so before they grew up and thought women should have non sexist names that, you know, didn't reflect their husband's name. So she then became Shadow. Let's hear you, Shadow. How did you get your hash name? I was very much against this Phantom S situation, and yet they wanted us to be connected. Phantom and me, and because he was the Phantom, then I just sort of became his shadow, which was still probably a little sexist, but never mind, that worked out fine, and I've been shadow ever since. The interesting thing about the Rumbai hash was women were not allowed. We were expected to do the afters, so we would have to provide the snacks and the beer and... Only once a month, Terry. But we were not allowed to, to participate. Then all, finally, you know, we had enough women who objected to that, and they finally agreed, okay, well, we'll let you run with us once a month. Yeah, it wasn't been horny enough to have to respect <laughs> their wife. <laughs> once a month, we were allowed to actually join the men, and I don't think they ever changed that while we were there. I'm sure they have by now, but I'm not sure that they ever changed I don't, when we were there. I doubt there's a hash there now. Well, it might not even be a hash there, too, I'm sure. And then we just sort of traveled around, and uh, we found there was lots of places that had hash. And so, you know, we could go to Singapore, or we could go to Malaysia, and, and uh, we would just visit and join in on other groups. Well, those days, Singapore, I think, had four hashes. I'm sure it's much more than that now, but from Rumbai, we went to, I think, three interhashes. We went to one in KL, we went to one in Jakarta. From where we were in Sumatra, going to KL or Singapore or Jakarta, it was like a one-hour flight, so it was very easy to squeeze in. But one thing that's notable is the hashes that you founded. The first one that we founded was in Prague. We were there for 
three years. Prague was 84 to 87. Let's talk about Prague. So you got to Prague, and that was the first hash you ever started. What traditions did you bring from Asia when you started the Prague hash? What was the early Prague hash like? It was it was pretty small, but very international, because most of the people that were able to join a club like that had to be somebody with diplomatic coverage. We had one Czech, but she had a New Zealand passport, or otherwise she wouldn't have been able to be there. So we were all we were all foreigners. Live hair trails, dead hair. Did you sit before? Did you have any live hairs? Uh, very seldom, because you had to really gauge where you were. And I remember one time uh, I was setting a, a hash. Uh, I ran out of flowers, so I had to go back home. And fortunately, I was close to home. I went back to where my last marks had been parked, right on top of my last mark was. Uh, the VB, which was like the local police who were known to be not nice. In fact, the kids at school said, VB, that means very bad, very bad. So I thought, oh, my God, they've, they've caught up with us. Obviously, they were probably just some who were having a beer themselves. In Prague, we always did kind of have that dread that somebody was going to knock on our shoulder and say, what are you doing here? <laughs> We didn't often have a circle as such. Mm. Uh, we, would be, we would tend to go to somebody's house, and that was be, because there was that threat of the police coming by. It was, there were spies around that would report you, so we had to be a little bit on the careful side as to wow. what. Wow. Yeah, in those days, our neighbors were allowed to say good morning to us, but if they ever said anything, anything more than that, they were supposed to report themselves. Wow. It was a very, very restrictive uh, community. That hash has survived to this day. Did you ever have circles there at the people's houses or downtown? Oh, yeah. oh yes. We, you know, we always had a, a circle in some situation. It might have been in somebody's living room or whatever, but in fact, I know there's one British couple when they hosted a, the Down Downs, they had a big, uh, like a plastic sheet that they put on the floor so we could do our Down Downs properly and not ruin their floor. So when you started the hash, you had to teach people how to set trails, what the hash was all about. Did you run the circles that you guys, or how did you get RAs and GMs? Typically, the RA was Terry. <laughs> Shadow. And I was the circle, the hash master. What was one of the craziest experiences that you had with Prague hash? Uh, we inadvertently set the trail through a minefield. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. That is brilliant. <laughs> now, there, were, there, were, there were lots of signs warning us, except the signs were all in check. So, you know, we thought, oh, well wonder what that is. So we, we did set the trail. We had scouted the trail, Terry and I, and then we set the trail. On the run itself was that one gal who had the New Zealand passport, but she was Czech. So she saw she got there and saw the sign, and the good old VB were investigating, and so she explained what, you know, what we were doing, and they said, okay, this, you have to go that way around this area. It's very dangerous. <laughs> and we were at the end of the trail just waiting for the people to arrive. We thought, what in the world is keeping them so long? 
on that particular run, our founder from Roombai, he and his wife were visiting, so they were on that run too. We thought we could have all, we could have all been blown to this. Wow. <laughs> but we weren't. Prague in those days, of course, was pretty restrictive. Somebody planned a hash called the Great Black Beard Chase because there were a few pubs that served black beer as opposed to the standard beer. One of them, Terry and I really frequented, you know, if we ever drank, and it was just off of Wissenslaw Square. The arrangement was that when you went by one of these black beer establishments, there would be a, some kind of a symbol there. And you could go in and have a black beer, which would be covered by the hairs later. We knew of a place that we went pretty frequently that served black beer, and it was pretty much, we thought, on the route. So we and about a half a dozen others went in and ordered our black beer and drank it and started to leave, but they said, uh, excuse me, you cannot leave without paying. Well, it turned out it was not one of the designated stops. We were all running in shorts and T-shirts and didn't have any money on us. <laughs> and in, in Prague, you didn't put things off that way. I mean, they wanted cash because you know, the waiters would be held personally accountable. So finally, one of the hashers said, okay, how about if I leave my camera here, and, uh, then I can come back later and negotiate. And that worked. But here we were so proud of, we knew this was the right pub, and we made lots of noise probably, and... Then all of a sudden we thought, we're in deep kimchi. But in a country that at that time was not into laughing very much. So that was not the first pub that you stopped in on that day, right? Uh, how did you guess that? Because <laughs> you, you, you stopped being concerned if there was actually a symbol in the window, I guess. And we thought we saw something and it was probably just litter or something. Who knows? Because <laughs> litter was not uncommon. Uh -huh. Well, then we went to, back to Indonesia, we went to Surabaya, which had a, a big, very active hash. And then we went to spend our, our only year in the States. And there was, in fact, a hash in Puget Sound, Washington, which was very small and very struggling. But, but we had some very good times there. No, then we went to Egypt, which was had a huge hash. And then from Egypt, we went to Bangladesh. Tell me the details of the oldest hash in the world. Ah, <laughs> that was sort of funny because we live in a, a retirement village, and all the people are... Compared to the compared average hasher. We started it, and the first T-shirts we got, we said, the village is Florida, the oldest hash, perhaps. perhaps the oldest hash. And we had all these T-shirts made, and... We had a good time, and it started off, you know, just a small group, and it grew, and we pulled in some people that weren't in the villages as, as such. But then we did go to Colorado one year, and the Colorado hash, the Denver hash, was very irritated. Uh, they were not happy because we claimed, you know, that we were the oldest. The only wrong in the which hash it was. Okay, what was the hash? Washington, D.C. Yeah. I had to explain, no, we're not the oldest in years except for our bodies. The Interhash Chiang Mai, you brought me into the circle to explain the saying on the back of the shirt. So in the Villages, Florida retirement community, you found a hash called Golden Hash House Harriers. 
with all retirees. Yeah, because it was supposed to be our golden years. How soon did you start a hash? We went to lunch one day with a woman that we had just recently met who had spent a number of years in Africa with Habitat. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, she looked at us and says, have you ever heard of the Hash House Harriers? We thought, oh, my God. And that's really what spurred us. We thought, okay, we have to do something about this. So that was really the thing that pushed us into organizing. Maybe that's not a good word for hash. Founding, anyhow. And her hash name became Ball Masher. Mm. That related to her golf, not her running. (laughs) Or other hobbies. Exactly. Uh, We were expecting to find other hashers here, which actually we did finally find a few, but they were people that were not actually living in the villages. They just heard about the villages hash and came and joined us. We had probably upwards of 40 or 50 people at one time. I know that there was someone from Dhaka who came and hashed at the villages. Ringmaster, right? Right. Yeah. By the time he came here to uh, run with us, he had immigrated. And he lives now just uh, outside of Orlando. Mm-hmm. So we see him occasionally. But there... Ringmaster had a special role in Dhaka, right? He was the supplier of t-shirts. He was part of a garment industry group, and I swear we had at least one hash shirt for every run. The closets were kind of running over, and when we got here, we had several boxes of hash shirts that were selling their little cellophane packages because there was no way you could wear them all. Sure, do you still have a collection of hash t-shirts? No. <laughs> Bits and pieces, but we didn't well, keep yeah. them all. We still had a lot of Bangladeshi ones because Sharif, even though he's living down the road, makes frequent business trips back to Dhaka. In fact, the last time he went, he got stuck there nine months because of COVID. Wow. But So he always brings back the latest hash shirts from Dhaka. All these 50 years has kept you going. What do you enjoy about hashing? I think I enjoyed setting trails more than I enjoyed running trails, but I I did enjoy both. Setting trails, especially in Indonesia, we were literally jungle bashing to to set trails. We set trails with toilet paper because generally it rains a lot and toilet paper disappears. You, You don't feel guilty for littering the jungle, which in those days it was jungle. That's gone now. Every once in a while, you'd be going through a thicket, and there was toilet paper. It could have been two or three years old because it was so the jungle was so thick, the rain had had not gotten there to wipe it away. You think, oh, this is this must have been from three years ago when so and so set a trail here. Some of the things that we really kept traditions that we kept going was the course of the names, as Dave said, and then drink it down, down, and pour it over your head if you couldn't finish it which we always always did that. We didn't really allow the thinking. Someone would say, I was thinking, wait, 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 you can't do that. We don't allow thinking on the hash, so that would be another down-down. So anytime somebody said the words, I was thinking, you would right. panic, you would give them a down-down. Right. Okay. And the other was, of course, the front-running bastards. We had shirts. We always had, we had beer mugs. We had uh, koozies. They were all hash. You know, all hash prepared. In fact, we had a company that would do all of these things and give us our little logos of the turtle because uh, we were not very fast. So we would have various logos that, this was here, uh, the the golden hash. And and our, our logo was basically a turtle, chose the turtle because we were, not very fast. Turtle, turtle in running shoes, of course. Of course. 
You guys had an extensive stay in Dhaka. What was your hashing experience like in Dhaka? Wonderful. Yes, it was great. It was uh, both both sexes could could join. We were also in charge various things most of the years we were there, and it was a big big group. Well, let me interject. In, in Dhaka, we had two hashes every week. One was a men's hash. And one was a mixed hash. And the mixed hash could be, you know, like 60 or 70 people. And the men's hash, usually anywhere from 20 to 30. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was, a, it was a big group and we went. It wasn't unusual to have a rented bus that would haul people to wherever the run site was. I was mostly the RA. I was the grand mistress mm-hmm. for a long time on the mixed hash. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did that, and then, of course, somebody else would be the RA. So I had both positions, and uh, we, we hung on to the, the mixed hash for quite a long time while we were there. And then eventually, you know, felt other people need the opportunity to do those kinds of things. So that's what that... You know, that we needed the opportunity not to do so. <laughs> well, yes. When you guys arrived, DACA mixed hash was big, but you just took it over? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, it was big... I mean, Terry didn't take it over until the hash mistress left. At that time, Terry, who had subbed for her at various times, then Terry became the hash mistress. And that was another six or seven years. Yeah. One of the funnier stories from uh, the DACA hash is the fact that there was a men's hash as well as a mixed hash. And, of course, I was never allowed to go to the uh, men's hash. But occasionally, Dave would be able to get a ride home with someone, so I would drop him off. Well, the minute they would see me pulling in, they would start shouting, No bumpies! No bumpies! Bumpies are not allowed! I guess I was a bumpy. Just look at your T-shirt. You can see the bumps. The bumps. There they are. Uh, yeah, the bumps up, uh, up just below the shoulders. A couple of times that I would drive up there, and then, of course, because I was, you know, being so naughty with my bumps, they, they would punish Dave. And he, would do, he would have to do a down-down because he allowed a bumpy to come to, to the hash. Even though I didn't, they didn't even get out of the car, but it didn't make any difference. This was DACA men's? Yes, yeah. Memorable hash run in DACA. The older part of the city, which part of that area was all an Armenian encampment for years, a big Armenian cathedral there. The Ben's Hash had to run through that old part of the city. All of a sudden, we found ourselves at River's Edge getting onto a boat. There must have been at least 30 of us on the run. Sailed down the river, the Buriganga River. When you're on that river, you're amidst all sorts of refuse. It was a memorable experience. And only a few people fell in trying to get onto the boat because the entryway was rotten bamboo. You had a significant stop we hashed together in Cairo. How did you find hashing in Cairo? Wonderful. Oh, yeah. We well, loved that. In Cairo historical sites as well as everything else was just always so amazing and actually we were in Bangladesh where we went back to Cairo for a convention and I ran on that hash that went under the Suez Canal right yeah what a thought that is I, I think back to that I think oh my god how did they ever allow us to do that yes there was an engineer who worked on the irrigation tunnels and he got unofficially permission for us to run through them before they flooded them. That was fantastic. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I would have loved to have done that one. Yeah, Terry missed that because she was 
Educators Convention, and Terry was doing a presentation at the very same time as the hash. <laughs> I, got, I got to go, and she got to not go. When you were there, we were there together, and Kyra was yes. a very big hash, well over 100, sometimes 150 on the weekly runs. And you've gone to these giant inner hashes. So you've been on hashes where there are a dozen people and hashes with over a hundred. What's the best size for a club for you when you're hashing? Mm, that's a tough call. I, I know. Uh, one of the things about Cairo, we had enough people. A couple of times we had a chartered air flight to, like, to, to Abu Simbel. Because Sherry and I were hares at Abu Simbel. And the aircraft landed. Everybody got off. We were given like a 30-minute. We had already scouted it out. We had a, about a 30-minute head start to put down the uh, trail. The trail ended. We all went back to the airport and flew back to, I think, the Luxor. Yeah, we were in Luxor for the weekend. Did a ha That's right. Were you, we hashed around the Valley of the Kings. and the We did. And uh, what, In Luxor, Annie Camp, a.k.a. Cheap Date, and I hared around. Talk about stupid. We thought we were very clever because, of course, the run was all on nice, light-colored sand. So we set the run with red lentils. Well, by the time the runners got there, all the housewives had been out there and they'd scooped up the red lentils. <laughs> yeah. Fair dinner. <laughs> Not quite manna from heaven, but, yeah, manna from the hash. Hash Egypt. Coast to coast and top to bottom. Abyssinbo up into the Delta and... And actually then we went back to the Delta when we were at Interhash in Cyprus. We had that ship that went... The lust, the lust boat. Oh, the lust boat. And they threatened that they were going to all run naked at midnight. And the captain of the boat <laughs> well, begged and begged them not to do it. Please don't do weren't it. Weren't you there? I went home to Cairo to set up the run around the pyramids that you guys were going to. So I had to go back and organize that and pay off the police and do all the kind of stuff to get that run ready. And you guys came a few days later. That was pretty funny because the captain just kept saying, please don't do that, please don't do that. It was too late for me, so I don't know if they ever really we, did. Yeah, we had no idea. We were sound asleep by that time. One of the most ex interesting experiences that I think we had in Cairo was going up Mount Sinai. That was such a exhausting, but to me it was quite a thrilling uh, experience. That was a couple-hour walk uphill, right? Yes, it was very much uphill, and we actually got all the way up there. On that trip, did you take a camel up? Did you walk the whole way up? We walked the whole way. Yeah, I think some people took camels. But it's a switchback trail, right? So the whole hash walked up a, a huge switchback trail in the middle of the Sinai. I think I actually drove you. You guys were in my car on the way down, and we got a flat tire, right? Yes. <laughs> well, we've been on hash cruises a number of times. Music? Music. Music. Yeah, we've been on a few cruises with him and his wife. You have kids. And yeah. did your kids hash, get hash names? And yes. Sarah was Fanta. Fanta, because that's what she drank. And Elizabeth was Zabet. Zabet, which was, that's how the Indonesians said Elizabeth. Where were you when they your kids got hash? In room by. Oh, at the very beginning. Right. Yes. Well, we were there 10 years. Sarah was already in elementary school and I guess Elizabeth got as far as kindergarten before we left. First grade. First grade. 
So they were on the hash and getting their names in kindergarten and first grade. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It became a very family-oriented run. I mean, we had a lot of family outings. Uh, people, you know, they all worked for the oil company or some part of the oil company. One of the big runs we had was way out in the jungle, and these guys that had their crews, which, you know, were all locals, built a fairly large shelter for when it rained, and uh, or if it rained, which, of course, it did every day. You know, they had benches built there in the jungle. You know, so when, when the hash left, that little hash settlement was still there. Of course, you'd never find it again. In uh, Indonesia, and this was regarding uh, our soul, the run was set, and they were, he was running along sort of like a, a little, uh, between the marshes, the ponds and things, and he was running along, and a water buffalo started chasing him. And was running along, and we're saying, faster, faster, look out, you know, behind you. And this, this, uh, he was, this buffalo was really ready to, you know, get up there and get this guy. I don't know, I can't remember exactly how it ended, well, but he survived. Well, <laughs> we, we all were yelling at our soul, and he didn't know why we were yelling at him. He didn't know that the buffalo was 10 feet behind him. Yeah. Sounds like a comedy movie. I didn't know that a water buffalo could move that fast. <laughs> These mixed hashes that Welcome Kid, how did that affect the circle? It affected the circle a lot, and that's because uh, traditionally hash has got a lot of uh, pretty raunchy songs that they sing. And when it became a family hash, people were very respectful of the fact that we had kids. And we would either avoid them or we would, you know, just leave out a few words as we would sing some of the hash songs because it was supposed to be a family hash. We didn't want to lose our, our kids, particularly, you know, or have parents say, well, I can't go to that because of the language. So we did have to clean it up quite a bit when we would do it with actual families with children. And sometimes you'd get visitors. And uh, here again, you had to be a little bit careful. I mean, we certainly were. If it was a mixed hash and no kids, then, you know, let it go. We just, we had a great time. But uh, we, we were very respectful of kids. Yeah, when I was RA in Cairo, it, there sometimes would be 15, 20 kids in the circle. And so I would tell stories and jokes. And just every time I had to say something or tell a punchline that might be bad, I would just throw candy in the air. And the kids would scramble and focus on flying candy. And I'd just keep talking. And all the adults would do it. And the kids never heard a word because well, they were distracted. Great idea. Great idea. Phantom and Shadow, one final question. Is the RA always right? Uh, I don't like to get into religious matters, but I would say basically, absolutely. <laughs> okay, how about you, Shadow? Same question. Well, of course. Now, we're, lots of times we're blamed for rain, snow, hail, all of those things, and that's really not our fault. We, we should not be blamed for those. Absolutely not, because, but we are generally always right, of course. Okay, and apart from generally, when you guys were RAs, were you ever wrong? Surely not. I want to thank Phantom and Shadow for coming on the podcast today, sharing their 50 years of hashing memories. This is the On On Podcast, Hasher Talk, History, and Stories. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. Until next time, On On, this is Ra. To close the circle, here's the Hash Anthem sung by Mother Hash.
Sweet.